Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Receiving incoming transmission. And he burned his son as an offering, and used fortune-telling and omens, and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Radical Christian! What's up, Radical Christians? It is sweet, sweet to be back another week doing this with you. And as always, this episode is going to be a real banger. It's going to be a little shorter, but we're going to get into some really fun things that I've been waiting to do for a while. So today's episode is about the Dark Garden of Manasseh. What is it? What's going on there? Is it pagan? Is it not? Everything's pagan, so I guess so. And for our paid content, we got a little something special here. We're going to go over the table of contents of this. Joshua Peck's new book, co-authored with Donna Howell and Allie Anderson Henson, but this book is not even out yet. The package was just announced, but we're but we're going to go over the table of contents for this book. And this is actually one of my favorite Defender book covers. So this should be awesome. And let's see first if it passes the smell test. Oh yeah, it smell it smells like like I said, like Revelations and Revelations. But let's get started. Before we get started with our episode layout, we will need to go into our prayer. So Father God, thank you for letting us fellowship through the internet for another week. We know that nobody is promised tomorrow and we want to make the most that we can for today. Please help us to get rid of things like pride, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, all of those things. Please conform us into your image. And for our episode today, please let this excite somebody enough to go to these parts in the Bible and read your word and let it just open up a biblical can of worms for them. Let this just lead them down a rabbit trail that will be fun and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now that the prayer is done, we can get into our episode layout. So this week's episode has four sections in it. In our first section, we have the life of Manasseh. And then we have A, Hezekiah, and B, Manasseh. Our second section is gardens. We have A, ancient gardens, B, the dead, C, back to Manasseh. Our third section is the prayer of Manasseh. We have A, Manasseh's Reckoning, and B, the prayer. Then we wrap it all up nice and tight with our Why This Matters portion. Because like I always say, all of this is useless if it can't help you. The source material for this episode, Veneration by Derek and Sharon Gilbert. And our scriptures. So our scriptures for this week will be 2 Kings 21, 1 through 26, 2 Chronicles 32, 33 through 33, 20, and we're going we're gonna to spice it up with a little Jeremiah 15.4. Now, section one, the life of Manasseh. Now, in order to talk about Manasseh, we need to talk about his father, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the few righteous kings that was listed in the books of First and Second Kings. 
Now, he witnessed the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel by Sargon's Assyrians in about 722 BC, and he was the king of Judah during the siege of Jerusalem by Sennacherib in 701 BC. So he enacted sweeping religious reforms, which included the soul worship of Yahweh. So he put, he pulled the Israelites out of their spiritual adultery and focused them back on just worshiping Yahweh alone. He also prohibited the veneration of other deities within the temple of Jerusalem. So all in all, he did great things to bring God's people back to himself and to worshiping him and him alone. And everything was great until he had his son Manasseh. Manasseh became king at 12 years old. Now in Hebrew culture, 12 years old means you're a man. So what, what likely happened was he co-reigned with his father for a while and then he became king. That's just a little tidbit for you. But he, Manasseh became king at 12 and he ruled for 55 years. He was remembered as basically the polar opposite of his father. He was remembered as one of the most idolatrous and evil kings in all of 1st, 2nd Kings and maybe even one of the worst overall. He went back and undid the religious reforms that his father did and he reestablished the local shrines to other gods and he rebuilt a lot of the altars to the other gods. He also led God's people back into polytheism through the worship of Baal and Asherah within God's temple. So, so it wasn't bad enough that they worshiped these gods, but he allowed them to be worshiped in God's house. So that's like a husband having a adulterous relationship in his marital bed. That's basically what that is. Now, Baal, Asherah, and not only that, but he worshiped the host of heaven, like the Assyrian astral cults that were known throughout Judah, and also just the principalities and powers that we've talked about. So let's look at 2 Kings 21, 2 through 4. It says, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he built the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars of, for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord. So the hosts of heavens were principalities and powers. So basically Manasseh was worshipping and serving all of God's rebellious sons except for God. So now, if that wasn't bad enough, Manasseh took it a step further. He was already practicing spiritual adultery and leading many astray. The thing is, when you when you are a person of great influence, you are responsible for how you influence people. So he was a king, and he wasn't only a king, he was a very bold person. So the way he set out and did things inspired others around him. Others had their eye on him and he inspired and a lot that can be said for a lot of us. This compounded his sin. This made it to where not only was he worshiping these foreign gods but he was leading others to do so by his actions and by his laws and mandates now if that wasn't bad enough like i was saying he did something way worse he became so zealous in his adulterous worship of these other gods that he participated in the sacrificial cult of molech and you know what that means he sacrificed his son to molech passing him through the fire let's look at second kings 21 6 and he burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So this child sacrifice is one of the worst things you can do to God. One of the worst. So if it was just shedding innocent blood, that'd be bad enough. But it's, but it's innocent blood of a child, a defenseless child. And not only that, it was in service to other gods. So he was cheating on Yahweh spiritually. He was destroying defenseless children and he was spilling innocent blood. So this greatly stirred up God's wrath and greatly brought God's judgment. And we'll get into the judgment portion later. But God said that the judgment would be so bad that anyone that even heard of it, their ears would tingle. So that's pretty bad. 
Now, this is what Yahweh said about Manasseh. This is 2 Kings 21.6. And this is after that he tried to, to speak to Manasseh and his people to try to bring them to reason, to try to let them know, hey, you're going down a slippery slope. He said, but they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So one of the kings of God's nation, Manasseh, was acting worse than the pagans of the area. Now lastly, we see that Manasseh is buried in the Garden of Uzzah, instead of the royal crypts like the kings before him. For a deeper study on this, go by Veneration by, by Derek and Sharon Gilbert. So I highly recommend going to get that book because it is amazing. I read the entire thing. It was great. It was not only a pleasure to read, but it, it fills in a lot of gaps of the Nephilim, which they're alternately called the Rephaim. But we'll get into that. So what is the big deal? Why was, why was being buried in the garden a big deal? And why was he not buried in the royal crypts? That's what we're going to find out in our next section, Gardens. So let's talk about ancient gardens. Well, human history began in the Garden of Eden. That's an ancient garden. Many cultures have myths and legends about a distant memory of a long-lost paradise. And then you also have the gods that would promise a way back to that paradise. So we think of gardens, the way modern people think of gardens are a place where you plant your veggies, your fruits. Maybe there's a bench there, some leaves hanging over the bench, uh, some shade. You read your book there, you feed a squirrel out of your hand. But this was not how the people of the ancient Near East understood gardens, especially the Amorites, the pagans. So to them, gardens always had a spiritual connotation. Now, when you think of the Garden of Eden, God and his divine counsel were there, were there with Adam and Eve. So there's a spiritual connotation. But they were also reserved for royalty. And if you look back at the Garden of Eden, that's where God was. So there, that was royalty. Now, this, this was true in the pagan worldview as well. So from the beginning, God met with his creation in the garden. And on the other side, the pagan side, they would worship their dead through gardens. So let's get into the dead. So gardens were where the pagans would interact with their dead. So this here's a little three three pointer on what the people of that time believed about the dead. So they believed that their dead were, were gone physically, but not spiritually. They still stuck around. Secondly, they, they believed that a person's happiness in the afterlife depended on their relatives doing rituals and summoning them and providing for them. Sometimes not always summoning them, but providing for them in the afterlife. And third, the kings of old, they believed, would join the elite ranks of their forefathers and would be able to influence the world of the living from beyond the grave, and they would receive veneration. Now, what is veneration? Veneration is defined as great reverence or respect, so it's basically a kind of worship. So these same venerated kings are prophesied to return in the Battle of Armageddon. And go get the book to read all, all about that. The last couple chapters are super inspiring. Now, this battle for Armageddon will take place outside the walls around the Garden of God, which is Jerusalem. And for that one, you can check out The Gods of Ground Zero by Carl Gallops. So we remember from earlier, earlier that Manasseh consulted mediums and necromancers. Now, these are both people who contact the dead. Necromancy is talking to the dead, and so are mediums. You contact them through the medium. A medium is, a, is an intermediary, like a person who you talk to, who then talks to the dead for you, a middleman. But either way, it's communicating with the dead. Now, you have what's called the, the kispam ritual. This is where you would, they would make, the family would make a ritual meal and offer it to their ancestral dead, and this would, this would be to honor them and provide for them. Now, this probably started with the Amorites. So these venerated kings, who are they? They are the Rephaim of the Ugaritic texts. So let's define Rephaim per the book Veneration. So Rephaim are the spirits of the demigod Nephilim who were destroyed after the flood. That's what Rephaim means. Now, before the flood, you, heard, you hear them being described as giant, a, a certain giant tribe. 
and certain people group. But then after the flood, these are the deceased spirits of those giants. So, so are they demons? Yes, those are demons. So basically the way I have understood it, this is just purely me. Um, I see the Enoch account straight up call them demons or describe them as demons. And then I see in the biblical text, when you dig deep enough, they, that the, these Rephaim post flood is how the Bible calls it refers to demons or evil spirits. Now in the new Testament, you have them referred to as evil spirits, but I feel like the Rephaim word is the old Testament way of, of referring to demons. One of them at least. So the plague god Reshef, who we learned about in one of the, I think my first episode for Daily Renegade, the plague god Reshef, Reshef is referred to as Reshef of the Garden in Ugaritic text. So he, in his name, he has garden. So he's a plague god of the garden. Now in the Amorite world, gardens were where the cult of the dead would perform their rituals to feed their, their divinized kings of old, their, their highly respected, worshipped kings of old. And ancient Israel and Judah were surrounded by these people doing these things. So it's it's no wonder how it bled into, how the culture around them bled into them. That's why you always hear, you know, not of this world. Now, we have two verses in Isaiah that reference this practice in gardens. We have Isaiah 65, 2-4. It says, I spread my hands out all the day to a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face, continually sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks and spend their night in secret places who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. So right here we see that they were sacrificing in gardens and it mentions pig flesh. So let's look at Isaiah 66, 17. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. So here's another call out to purifying themselves to go into gardens and pig flesh. So scholars say that pigs were associated with the underworld and were used by the Greeks in rituals and by the Amorites and others in sacrifices. So this may be one of the reasons why Yahweh banned his people from eating pig's flesh. This may be one among many, or this could be the reason, but that's interesting. The, the nice, it's an interesting connection that the Gilberts made. So now let's go to our next subsection, back to Manasseh. So with all this in mind, we can now make the hypothesis on why Manasseh was buried in the garden. So it, like I said, in Judah, the tombs were usually cut into rocks and the tombs for the kings of Judah were located in the city of David. So they weren't even next to the gardens. Now Manasseh chose not to be buried there. He chose to be buried in the garden of Uzzah and Uzzah is likely uh, the garden of Azariah, which is the great grandfather of Manasseh's father, Hezekiah. So with all the pagan and Amorite rituals and other uses of gardens, you can now see that Manasseh was influenced by them and their belief that if you served these gods and were buried in their, the spot where they were, they were returning and being worshipped and all that, that you would one day enter into their fold and have a sweet spot in the afterlife with them and be venerated with them and provided for. So Manasseh fully absorbed the pagan worldview. So he thought, oh, well, I got to be buried in the garden because that's where all the other ancestors are. So all of this coupled with Manasseh sacrificing his own son to these dark gods were such horrible offenses that God himself said that Manasseh did things more evil than all that the Amorites did. But the story doesn't end there. Now we get into our third section, the prayer of Manasseh. Our first and second section followed Kings. This follows the, the second Chronicles account of Manasseh. 
So we, now we're going to look at what happened to Manasseh later in his life. This is Manasseh's reckoning. So the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, and they refused to listen. So what the Lord did in judgment was he brought the commander of the armies of the king of Assyria to capture them with hooks and chains, it says. So maybe hooks in their noses, like fish, or hooks in their mouths, I don't know, but hooks and chains, to take them into Babylon. So Manasseh was distraught. He was shook. In the King James, he was shooketh. So in his great depth of despair, Manasseh did what no one except for God would expect. He humbled himself and prayed to Yahweh. And it says that Yahweh heard his prayer. And then it says that Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And that is in 2 Chronicles 33, 13. Let's go ahead and read it. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now that is a dr dramatic repentance or a drastic turnaround. That is repentance. Now within our standard Bibles, there's a reference made to this prayer in 2 Chronicles 33, 19. And it says that the prayer is written in the annals of the kings of Israel. So where this prayer actually, uh, one of the places where it appears is the Apocrypha of the King James Bible. Now I think even in the Bible apps, you can go find this. But let's go ahead and read this prayer. It is 15 verses, and this is Manasseh praying to God while in captivity. And keep in mind, this is the man who sacrificed his own son to pagan gods. This is the man who built temples to these idols, who basically did everything to spit in the face of God. O Lord, almighty God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of their righteous seed, who hast made heaven and earth with all the ornament thereof, who hast bound the sea by the word of thy commandment, who hast shut up the deep and sealed it, by thy terrible and glorious name, whom all men fear and tremble before thy power. For the majesty of thy glory cannot be borne, and thine anger threatened towards sinners is importable. But thy merciful promise is unmeasurable and unsearchable. For thou art the most high Lord of great compassion, long-suffering, very merciful, and repentest of the evils of men. Thou, O Lord, according to thy great goodness, has promised repentance and forgiveness to them that have sinned against thee, and thine infinite mercies has appointed repentance unto sinners that they may be saved. Thou therefore, O Lord, that art the God of the just, hast not appointed repentance to the just, as to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which have not sinned against thee, but thou hast appointed repentance unto me that I am a sinner. For I have sinned above the number of the sands of the sea. My transgressions, O Lord, are multiplied. My transgressions are multiplied, and I am not worthy to behold and see the height of heaven and the multitude of mine iniquities. I am bowed down with many iron bands that cannot lift up mine head, neither have any release. For I have provoked thy wrath and done evil before thee. I did not thy will, neither kept I thy commandments. I have set up abominations and I have multiplied offenses. Now therefore I bow my knee of mine heart, beseeching thee of grace. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned and I acknowledge mine iniquities. Wherefore, I humbly beseech thee, forgive me, O Lord, forgive me and destroy me not with mine iniquities. Be not angry with me forever by reserving evil for me, neither condemn me to the lowest parts of the earth. For thou art the God, even the God of them that repent. And in me thou wilt show all thy goodness, for thou wilt save me that am unworthy according to thy great mercy. Therefore, I will praise thee forever all the days of my life. For all the powers of the heavens do praise thee, and thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Manasseh came to a full-blown repentance. He would later on go to tear down the altars that he that he made for other gods. He would tear down the high places. Now, as for being buried in the garden, I believe he was still buried in the garden. I don't know if he just 
had those plans set or if he just forgot to undo that or if he just wasn't fully there. But this prayer right here was a fully repentant prayer. His actions after, we don't know, but he, he fully acknowledged his sin and repented to God. So let's get into why this matters. This matters because of two reasons. Number one, if you study your Bible in the context of the people who wrote it, you will get a much deeper understanding of what these verses mean. So this will, this will reignite these stories in your heart. This will give you a whole new passion for what's going on. You feel like these people in the stories become even more realistic of people. Like when you just read these foreign names like Manasseh, it's hard to relate or to understand. But when you get deeper and dig deeper into what they thought at the time, then you understand why he was buried in the garden. And it just it enriches the whole story. Now, the second reason why this matters is because it is never too late to repent while you are still alive. It is never too late to return to your father as the prodigal son. If you are backslidden, if you have a weaker walk with God, if you aren't following God right now, if you know you should be, but you're not, it's not too late until you are dead. Now, we have news of, of certain celebrities dying. We have Kobe dying in the, in the plane crash with eight other people, I believe. Now, sometimes it takes a celebrity crash like that. Somebody who's, who a lot of people even idolize or just who people have a, an attachment to because they grew up following that person. Sometimes that is what it takes to shake people and make them realize, oh man, if, if this guy who was, who was by worldly standards on top, if he died out of nowhere, then surely I can die out of nowhere. And that is completely true. Do not boast of tomorrow. You, you, don't, you don't know if you have tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. Even as Christians, we assume that we have tomorrow because we're, oh, we're in God's good graces. We, uh, you know, God will protect me. I'll, I'll live till tomorrow. You don't know if he's going to call you back tomorrow. So do not stay in fights. Do not stay in pride. Do not stay away from him. What matters in this world? Only what you do for the kingdom of God and your relationship with him. That's it. That's all that matters. Not, nothing else matters except for what you do for the kingdom and your relationship with him. That's it. So really focus on that. Really, really take that to heart. And this was our quick episode. This is, I'm trying my hand at doing a shorter episode just so I can get more done and, and work on longer ones at times. But it's been a pleasure. If you are not a member of Daily Renegade, go ahead and subscribe. It is a godly alternative to Netflix and it's awesome. And now we're going to get into our paid content and look at our table of contents and discuss the new book, Afterlife. Stay rad. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.